Well, good morning. Welcome to Shelby Christian Church. We're glad you guys are here this morning. Hey, you guys that are joining us online, welcome as well. Thanks for gathering there in your homes this morning to worship with us. Dave's got an incredible message today from the uh, book of Luke as we continue our uh, series, uh, Keeper of My Heart. He's going to be looking at this parable that if you've read before, uh, you've probably had a lot of questions about. So we're going to unpack that today, and I think you're going to find it very uh, inspirational and beneficial. Hey, I wanted you guys to know something. Yesterday uh, yesterday morning, Sam Riley was baptized here uh, at the church. Some people gathered, and he was baptized. So we're celebrating that today, and we're just excited that those things continue to happen in the middle of all of this craziness. Uh, would you guys do me a favor? Would you stand up as we uh, get ready to worship this morning? Maybe just uh, say a socially distanced wave or hello to those around you and let's begin our day off uh, with some worship. Thanks for being here today. Good morning church. Start out this morning by singing to our unstoppable God. Heaven thunder and the world was born. Life begins and ends in the dust you form. Faith commanded and the mountains move. Fear is losing ground to our hope. Chains undone. Sin defeated, Jesus is overcome. Mercy triumph when the third day dawns. Darkness was denied when the soul was gone. Unstoppable God, let your glory go. Shout your praise forevermore, Jesus our God. 
say that this morning, that Jesus is the only one who can take what was dead and make it alive. And we can only say those words because of what he did on the cross. And every week here at Shelby Christian, we take time to reflect upon his suffering and his death upon that cross. And this week, things are going to look a little differently than they have the past few weeks. We've got stations set up all throughout the room that you can go and grab your juice and your cracker And when you come back to your seat after that, I want us to reflect upon that fact, the fact that we just sang, that Jesus is the only one who can take the the dead things in our lives and make them alive. He's the only thing that can take us from death to life. So today, let's remember that as we take communion. God, we thank you so much for that simple fact, God who can say you are the only one who can take what was dead and make it alive. Whether it's a relationship, God, whether it's whether it's an addiction, God, we know that you can take dead things and turn them into beautiful, alive things. God, we are so grateful for that today. God, I pray as we take communion this morning that we would be reminded of the things you've taken in our lives the things you've taken into our lives and made alive, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And if you didn't receive a communion cup coming in, we've got stations set up all around the room where you can go and pick them up.
Yeah. 
right, all right, all right. Have a seat. I love that song. I love that song. Man, that's two services. Now I got one more to listen to it. But it, I love that song. I don't know how you can, like, not get into that song. Like, I'm, like, where's Brett? I'm ready to go. Let's go. Because, I mean, if we're going to see victory... God says we're going to see victory. And we've been through so much over the last few months, and God's still doing victory. Like Jason told you, uh, we got to see Sam baptized yesterday, and God's still doing victory. Hey, there's this poem that says, rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. One got the penthouse, the other got the street. On judgment day, the tables got turned, beggars went to heaven, rich man got burned. See, that kind of pretty much describes where we are in our walk through Luke this morning. We're in Luke chapter 16. We're in the last part of that chapter. We're actually going to start in about verse 19. And, and we're in this portion of this mega series on the 2020 focus on Jesus that we just started last week. The little mini series right now is how Jesus is the keeper of our heart and the things that Jesus puts in our heart and works in our heart. And one of those things is discernment is discernment and so we're so glad you guys are here this morning if you're watching us online we're really glad that you're here take a second uh, if you're online and type in the comment bar let us know where you're worshiping from last week i'll let you guys know and some people uh, took advantage of it and that's a great thing is that we do have this prayer line that's going on all the time it's not just on sunday it's really all week long and if you've got a prayer need if you would just call or text uh, 502-487-4527, uh, and someone will get back with you really quick, uh, either by text or by call, whatever the need is, all right? So this poem that I just read, it summarizes this parable Jesus told that's often titled the parable of the rich man, the rich man and Lazarus. And it's one of the most fascinating parables that Jesus told. Remember, I keep reminding you, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Uh, Warren Barclay, the commentator, said this, is a, this parable is constructed with such mastery and skill that not one phrase is wasted. So let's jump right into the parable, okay? It's in Luke 16, starting verse 19. All right, here's what it says. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed of what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said to him, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is in comfort here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm, a huge divide that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to and none may cross from there to us. Then the rich guy said, Then I beg you, Father, to send to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. Jesus said to him, or, the, or excuse me, uh, Father Abraham said to the rich man, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone raises from the dead. This parable, Jesus is saying so much, isn't he? He's kind of foretelling what's about to come and what the future is going to be look like. But, the, but basically in this parable, he paints this picture of these two guys. John MacArthur, the preacher, said the story of these two men is marked by extreme contrast in life and shocking reversals after death. Look at the contrast in life. There's one that's enormously wealthy and the other impoverished beggar. One that's inside the house, the other that's outside. One that has no food, the other has all the food he could eat. One that had needs and the other had none. The poor man desired everything, the rich man desired nothing. Uh, The poor man suffered, the rich man was satisfied. The poor man tormented, the rich man happy. The poor man humiliated, the rich man honored. The poor man sought crumbs, the rich man feasted. The poor man needed help, the rich man gave him none. The poor man was a nobody, the rich man was well known. The poor man had no dignity in death, not even a burial. The rich man had dignity in death and a lavish funeral. The poor man possessed no hope, the rich man had all hope that the earth and the world could give. But then after death... Things get flipped. The situations of the two are completely reversed. The rich man became poorer than the poor man had ever been, while the poor man became richer than the rich man could ever have imagined. The poor man was on the inside, that is in heaven, while the rich man was on the outside, that is in hell. The poor man enjoyed the great heavenly banquet while the rich man was totally deprived. The poor man needed nothing while the rich man needed everything. The poor man had all the desire, all of his desires filled while the rich man's desires would go eternally unfulfilled. Two different characters, two dramatically different ter- characters in this made-up story, this earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The rich man is the main character in the story, and he's got a lot to say, doesn't he? Notice the poor man never says a word. The rich man's words, though, although they are made up, they're in a parable form, these are the only words ever spoken from hell. Either literally or in a story form. There's only communication ever from hell that we have in the Bible. And there's this one breathtaking warning. There's this one breathtaking warning. In fact, this one warning is worth the price of admission. All right? What, whatever you thought you had invested in today, if you don't get anything else out of it, You need to get this. In fact, this would be the time to get out your pencil and your paper, your phone, whatever. Be ready to write this down. You need to hear this, all right? This is critically important. It's the whole idea behind this, all right? You ready? Here we go. You don't want to go to hell. All right, you got it. You, you know, if you're having trouble spelling, see me after. You don't want to go to hell. Now, that seems so obvious, doesn't it? But man, we throw that around. We throw that phrase around. I mean, young people, I hear young people say things. I hear even adults when they lose it and they get mad at someone and they'll say something like, well, you can just go to hell. You know, that's the meanest. You talk about a hate crime. You talk about a hate crime? There is no greater hate crime on this planet today than to say that to someone. Well, you can just go to hell. 
You don't want to go to hell. The only thing I can imagine even worse than that is seeing hell coming to someone or for someone and you see it about to happen and not warning that person. That's the only thing I can imagine that would be worse. You don't want to go to hell. This parable Jesus tells describes why. And it's really an issue of discernment before that time. The the fundamental definition of Christian discernment is this. It's a decision-making process in which an individual makes a discovery that can lead to future action. You investigate, you dig in, you study, you learn, you, you see all the angles, you see everything that's going on, and you allow those things that you have seen and that you've experienced to influence future action. Hopefully... Hopefully that's what people do with this. They, they dig into this. They, they read God's word. They dig in deep and they see things and they watch things play out. And, and they see the things and they learn from the things that causes them to make discernment, good discernment, and causes them to have good decisions about their future actions. So here's a big question. Here's a huge question, as a matter of fact. How do you make decisions? How do you make decisions? I I really want you to think about that. If you still got your pad out and you're writing notes, maybe jot yourself a note. Uh, Maybe show it to the person that you came to worship with kind of as as a reminder. Maybe type it into your phone. If you're watching online, maybe type it in the comment bar. How do you make decisions? Because that's really what this is about is discernment. How to make wise decisions. See, one of the things that this parable teaches us is we got to investigate, we got to look, we got to decide how are we living? How are you living? That's the first part of what this parable starts is Jesus starts talking about this rich guy. This rich guy, he's living the dream. He's living the dream in a way that most of us could never even fathom or imagine. But then we get down to verse 20. And we're introduced to this poor guy. And, and there, in the next few verses, the next couple of verses there, 20 and 21, there's six different descriptions of this poor guy. The qualifiers, adjectives that, that, that tell about this poor guy. The first one is, it says that he was laid at the gate. He was laid at the gate. Now, he was laid at the man's gate. He was laid at the rich man's gate. Now, I want you to imagine the, the kind of the living situation this guy would have probably been. Is there, there's, this, there's this house, this complex or whatever, and there's a wall around it. And then there's a gate that's kind of the size of one of our doors. That There's this gate that you would go out to go out into the street, okay? And, and so imagine here, this, they bring him and he's laid at the gate. Notice he's laid. Notice he didn't walk to the gate. Apparently, this guy's paralyzed or lame in some way. He's brought there, and he's laid at the gate. And so this rich guy has to walk out his gate every morning, every time he leaves, and probably almost literally have to step over Lazarus. That's how much he's ignoring him. And then it says that he was poor. We've already touched that. His name was Lazarus. We've already touched that. It says he was covered in sores. We don't know if it was leprosy or some other disease, but Jesus is just making it. He's trying to make this guy seem as bad as it can be. And it says he's starving to death. He would have been happy with crumbs from the rich man's table. And then probably the nastiest one of all is the dogs came and licked his wounds. Now, when you hear that, don't 
don't think of your dog at home, okay? You know, we've got Alvin the Wonder Dog at our house, and Alvin loves to lick, and he loves to play with us, and he loves the grandkids, and, and even Brielle at three. He'll, she'll start playing with him, and then he'll start licking her. He licked me. He licked me. No, it's not that kind of he licked me. That's the fun kind. This is, imagine, like street dogs. You know, they're running a pack that are just doing whatever they can to survive. And those dogs, those dogs are licking his wounds. The, the rich man knew the poor man, but he was so consumed with himself, he paid no attention to this beggar by the gate. He couldn't discern. There's that word. He couldn't discern the needs of those around him, only himself. Now, the rich man, and it's interesting, the rich man remains anonymous in here. He's not given any, but the poor man is named Lazarus. Now, now understand, the, understand this. This is a made-up story. So this is not the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead, okay? We'll hear about him in a, in a moment or as we finish this morning. This is not that Lazarus, but this is just, Jesus would have known that name, though. He had a friend named Lazarus who was a really good guy, and so he gives this guy in this parable this name Lazarus, which means God has helped or God helps. And, and, and the fact that Lazarus was named made it clear that this rich guy's brothers that we hear about at the end, they would have recognized him too, send him to us. When he called back to Father Abraham from hell, he called for Lazarus by name. He knew this guy. See, discernment, discernment requires awareness of what is going on around us. So I was thinking this week as I kept reading this parable over and over again, I was thinking this week, who is it that you or I walk by on a daily basis? Who are we stepping over? Who is it that we walk by on an almost daily basis? Okay, maybe you don't walk by, maybe you drive by them. And then I thought, well, maybe you don't drive by them. Maybe it's just that person that, for whatever reason, God just keeps putting their name or their face in your mind. You just constantly are reminded of that individual, uh, of, of that person. And, and it made me wonder. This made-up guy, Lazarus, was at the rich man's gate every day, and he chose not to help. See, when it comes to discernment, we have to be aware enough of the people around us and make an effort to discern who we can help and how we can help. Those are two great questions you might want to write down, too. Who can we help and how can we really help them? You see, I'm sure, I'm sure probably most all of you, especially those of you who live here in Shelbyville, you've seen our, our friend down on Washington Street. For a couple months, he was over on Main Street. I believe his name's Leroy. And a few people have been annoyed by that, but many have worried, a lot of you guys, because you've texted me. Several have tried to help, a lot of you guys, because I know about that. And some have even given them support in the form of food, medical attention, rides, housing offers. Everything that could be done has been tried. See, see, part of discernment, part of discernment is knowing how to help and who is willing to receive help. There's even a book called When Helping Hurts that describes the difference between helping and enabling. 
and knowing the difference between the two, that's discernment. That's what this guy needed to have. So take a second. Think about it. Think about this. Because how are you living? Who's been placed at your gate? Maybe another way of asking that question is a little bit more familiar. Who's your one? Because we've talked before that your one doesn't necessarily always mean that it's an evangelistic one. Maybe your one is just someone that needs to see and actually feel the love of Jesus. So how are you living? The second thing we learn from this is kind of an odd duh moment, okay? It starts in verse 22. Look at verse 22. Guess what? The poor man died. The poor man died. We're all going to die. No one bothered, though, to give this beggar's body a decent burial, as Jesus tells the story. It's diseased. It's disgusting, kind of as Jesus described it. If this had been a real man in real life story, that man would have probably been thrown on a cart and wheeled to the te- wheeled down to the Valley of Gehenna, which was this little place outside of the city of Jerusalem where there was this never-ending burning pile of trash. Because that's what people apparently thought of him. There's no burial, no service, no recognition, no honor in death, but honor came for this guy. In verse 22, when Jesus said he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. But as far as an earthly funeral, earthly recognition of his life and and in turn his death, nothing, nada. I'm convinced that by far one of probably for me, one of the hardest things of this pandemic has been the inability or at least early on the inability to gather for funerals. It was heartbreaking as a pastor. For, I don't know when the last time any of us on staff have been into the hospital. We can't go to hospitals. Now we can at least go and, and do funerals. But early on, we couldn't, and it was heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Do you realize we've had over 30 families, over 30 families in our church that have had someone pass, either a member of the church a spouse, a parent, a, a sibling, someone that they were very close to, of numbers of causes almost all of them non-covid related but but during this season we haven't been able to be there like we would normally be there the church hasn't been able to be the church and and yet that's what this guy that jesus describes that's how the end of his life went anyway even without a pandemic but then there's another interesting part of this because then he talks about the rich man died guess what the rich man also died we all die the poor man died, the rich man died, but the rich man was buried. In, in kind of sharp contrast to the poor man, the rich man would have had the very best. Can you imagine? And, and, and the way this story's playing out, can you imagine the extra, extravagant funeral and festivities that were around? I mean, he, this guy would have had the nicest casket. He would have had the nicest limousines taking him to the burial site. It would have been spectacular. This man who had lived the dream would have had a funeral that few could dream of. The, the rich man would have, would have received an elaborate, an elaborate send-off. You know, he's got five brothers. They're all going to be dressed to the nines. 
they're all going to be there and the best of everything. The body's going to be wrapped in fine purple, just like he'd worn when he was living. And we know that because that purple was a sign of wealth, because it wasn't just a matter of mixing red dye and blue dye and putting it on and getting purple. No, to get that purple, that lavenderish purple material, it was really extravagant, hard to get. And so it was extravagant and he would have been wrapped in that. People would have come from everywhere. And there had been this magnificent funeral march through town. I mean, it would have been spectacular. I don't know if you've ever been to New Orleans when they've had a funeral and you've seen it, but I don't know if you haven't been there. Uh, undoubtedly, especially the adults, most of you have seen in movies or on a TV show, like in a New Orleans-style funeral. That's what's going down here. That's what's going down here, and this guy's carried off. So how are you living? Because we're all going to die. And the most important thing that comes to discernment is understanding that how you live affects your eternity. So you better choose wisely. That's how Jesus finishes this story. And today, you know, really, as we're talking about heaven and hell, today I'm not as concerned with using this parable, this passage, this story to determine the locations of heaven and hell. I think that's rather insignificant in this particular time. I'm concerned with the choices that lead us to one of those destinations. See, here's the interesting, like like most people, like probably all of us would be, like almost everybody in our world today, this rich guy dies, and he's shocked. He's shocked when he realizes where he is. He can't believe it, because everybody dies and goes to heaven, right? I, I mean, that's what our world believes. That's what our world believes. Just get on social media. Anytime, so everybody that dies, all good dogs go to heaven, and all people definitely go to heaven. That's kind of what our world believes, but that's not the reality of Scripture, is it? That's not what the Bible teaches. And see, this guy's shocked. His lack of discernment about life had a huge effect on his afterlife. Now, there's, there's three really important things. I'll just go through these quickly that I, I think you need to understand about this man's death and about his eternity. First of all, this man didn't go to hell because he was rich. Get that out of your mind really quick because the Bible's clear that there's no problem with earthly wealth. There's no problem with having wealth unless the wealth has you. This guy didn't go to hell because he was rich. This, number two, this, this guy didn't even go to hell because he ignored the poor and the needy. All those scriptures very clear about that. Scripture is very clear about that. In the book of 1 John, in chapter 3 and verse 17, uh, John writes this, If anyone has worldly goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So you know, it's pretty obvious. Okay, it's, had, it's okay to have needs, but you've got to be willing to share. But that's not what got this guy to hell. Because you see, just doing good things... Because if not doing good things gets you cast into hell, then somehow the reverse of that would have to be true, that doing enough good things gets you to heaven. But the Bible's pretty clear about that too, right? The Bible's pretty clear in Ephesians chapter 2, for it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not by works, lest any one of us would brag or boast about that. And then he goes on in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, and he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before, beforehand that we should walk in them. So what Paul was saying there was, you know, your good works don't get you to heaven. Your good works don't save you. It's because that you are saved that you should want to do good works. All right, you see the difference? 
You see the difference there? And, and, and so this guy didn't go to hell because he was rich. He didn't go to hell because he ignored the poor and the needy. This man went to hell because he lived his life for himself and died without an awareness of the truth. You see, there's a lot of people that get caught up in the world and get caught up in what's going on, get caught up in situations, get caught up in circumstances, get caught up in things, and they forget what they're supposed to be doing. In fact, if you've got your Bible you know, or your tablet or something, and you can, turn over to Romans chapter 1 really quick. I want you to see this. If you've got your Bible, I want you to see it in your words. Not look on the screen. Because this Romans, book of Romans is awesome. Romans chapter 1 is really awesome. <coughs> Excuse me. And, but I want you to look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. Here's what it says. They knew God. I would say that almost all of us here today could say that. Definitely all of us here today could say they knew about God. Because if you didn't know about God before you came, now you do. You've heard us talk about him many times, all right? All right? So it says they knew God. They knew who God was. They knew a lot about God. Some would even claim they knew God. But look what Paul said next. He said, but they didn't honor him as God. They didn't thank him. Their thinking became worthless, their foolish hearts became dark, and they claimed to be wise, but they made fools of themselves. That would be the category that this rich guy that Jesus describes would have fallen into. This rich guy is begging now. He's, in, you know, he's begging for a sign for his brothers now. After, after first he said, send Lazarus to touch my tongue and do something for me. It's me, me. And then, and then Abraham says, no, that ain't going to happen. And now for the first time in the whole story, this rich guy is thinking about somebody other than himself. He says, okay, well, send them. Send them to my brothers so that they would know. And Abraham says, man, they got Moses and the prophets, basically the Old Testament. Because see, this is a New Testament story. Jesus is telling us they already had the Torah. They already were studying the scrolls. They knew the stories of faith. They knew the great stories. And basically Jesus said, man, they've heard it all. Your brothers, just like you, have already heard it all. Basically what this guy was saying to, to Father Abraham, as Jesus tells his story, is the Bible isn't enough. Bible stories aren't enough. People are still saying that today. In fact, some people are saying we don't even need the Old Testament. Uh, that's ridiculous. But in Luke chapter 24, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he's walking on the road to Emmaus. He's talking to a couple of guys about things that have happened. And so remember, Jesus, Jesus has been killed. He's been buried. He's raised from the dead. He's walking on the road with these two guys. He's suddenly with these two guys. And, you know, I'm thinking that if there was a discussion, it might have started like, hey, guess what I just did? <laughs> but that's not what Jesus talked about. Jesus starts talking to these two guys about Moses and the Old Testament and the prophets. The Bible's not enough. Now, that's what he's saying. We need miracles. A lot of people say, we need, I need a sign. We need miracles, signs, wonders. We need something. This guy even says, but if someone would raise from the dead, then people would believe. Really? Not very long after this, Jesus actually raises a guy who happens to be named Lazarus, the real Lazarus. 
And, and you would think, oh, that'll do it. But no, in fact, John Phillips, the commentator, wrote this about that. He said, far from believing, members of the Jewish religious establishment added to their plot to murder Jesus a plot to murder Lazarus too. Instead of saying, oh, wow, he raised Lazarus from the dead, then we need to worship because that kind of proves he is who he says he is. No, they said, no, this proves who he says he is, so we need to kill them both. We need to get rid of the evidence. See, just somebody coming back from the dead wasn't enough. In fact, when Jesus rose from the dead, those whose hearts were already hardened against God's word, they still refused to believe in him then and now. See, discernment is such a big thing because it's still a problem today. We got people that just, wow, wow, do we need discernment today. Guys, listen to me. Here's great news. Guess what? The tomb is still empty. The tomb is still empty. And our faith isn't in an empty cross. It's in an empty tomb. And, and yet people still refuse to believe. It's not because of a lack of evidence. It's because of a lack of discernment. It's choices. And here's, here's what we need to take away. See, our temporary choices will have eternal consequences if we don't use the right discernment. Our temporary choices sometimes will mess us up here. I mean, just mess us up here. What we eat today might have a consequence tomorrow, but that's a temporary thing. But some of our temporary choices have eternal consequences, even for some who believe that they're followers of Christ. See, guys, spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment means becoming aware of our need for hope. It means becoming aware of our need for hope and then being willing for us individually to receive that hope. And then once we've received that hope, to share that hope. If you ever know, if you know anybody that's been through a 12-step program of any kind, step number 12 is a critical step. That's why I believe that the 12 steps are beneficial for every person living on the planet because we're all in recovery from sin. But after you work through all the other steps, step number 12 in a 12-step program says you need to be willing to carry the message, the message of hope. An alcoholic who has gone through that needs to carry a message of hope that there's another life. A, a drug addict needs to carry a message of hope. A person who's been physically abused needs to carry a message of hope. Someone who's been forgiven of sin needs to carry a message of hope to a world that's struggling to find hope, that can't discern what's right and wrong. They need to know that hope is Jesus. And we can share the hope of Jesus in a lot of ways. It's really cool that we get to do this now. And then we've, for eight or ten weeks now, we've been able to be back in person and do an in-person worship. This is really cool. But, hey, guys, guess what? This isn't enough. This isn't enough to share the message of hope. And it's really cool that right now on all these cameras, we've got people watching literally all over the world. Once again this morning, Yousef was watching from Pakistan. He already knows the hope, but he's sharing that message. It's really cool that we can do that online and share it. But guess what? That's not enough. It's really cool that we can get on Zoom calls and, and we can do online Bible studies. But guess what? That's not enough. I think if we really use our discernment, we got to know more than ever it's becoming about individual believers caring enough about their one to not wait until it's too late to share a message of hope. 
with the lost and dying world. Because we all need hope. Guys, we preach the Bible passionately and purposefully and as completely as we know how. Because our bottom line is this. Where you, where you and I and people that we care about deeply, where we spend eternity depends on our discerning spirit of love to share the good news of Jesus. God, thanks for giving us Jesus. Thanks for giving us the power of the gospel, a message of hope for a lost and dying world. And God, I just pray that you would ignite a fire within those of us that are here in person, those that are watching online, that you'd ignite a fire and that you'd help us discern in our mind who's at our gate and who we need to be sharing this message with. They would know the king of our life. And they'd find hope in you. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to do something different. We haven't done this in 10 weeks or more or five months or more. Would you guys stand up with me? Would you guys stand up with me? Jason's going to be down here. Kayla's going to sing a beautiful song. And if God gives you a discerning spirit that you need Jesus in your life right now, I'm going to invite you to walk down here. We'll do it social distancing. We'll do it safe. But if you need to make a decision for Jesus, don't walk out of here today without taking that chance.
That's the way we're supposed to finish a church service. All right, let's go, let's go. Hey, remember, don't come back here next week. We're going to be out at the park at 10 o'clock, all right? 10 o'clock at the amphitheater at the park. See you then. Have an awesome week.